Welcome to the podcast at thatguitarlover.com. Yes, it's me again, your host, Russ Chevalier. And yet again, we have an amazing guest. This time, I am extremely excited to have my friend, Mr. Fraser Moore, join us. Welcome, Fraser. Thank you for having me, Ross. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Fraser, rather than me reading your bio, why don't you tell the folks who you are, what you do, what makes you excited? Oh, I'm I'm essentially what happens to Robin Williams when he escapes Jumanji after 27 years. Uh, <laughs> uh, I have uh, I've been playing guitar for you know probably a better part of 25 years. I've worked in various music stores. Um, I'm just an all-around gearhound. I've been in a semi-successful reggae band. Um, yeah, just generally just uh, a fellow player. So Fraser's agreed to join me because, as you folks know, I'm not a fuzz guy. It's not to say I don't like fuzz. I admit I don't really understand it. So I thought I'd consult an expert. And so, Fraser, thanks for being with me. I really do appreciate it. It's going to make a difference for people because... Well, I may not be a fuzz guy. We have listeners and folks who read the articles uh, here at the that Guitar Lover who are into fuzz or curious about fuzz. And so for folks, I think it would be very beneficial if we got past a lot of the... Um, what's the word I'm searching? Crap. That's the word I'm searching for. Mm. Uh, let's just agree that the internet may not always be... The authoritative source for facts. Is that a fair thing to say? Once in a while, they, uh, you know, even a broken clock is right twice a day. There you go. So could we start there? Yeah, we can absolutely start there. So for all of our benefits, including mine, what is fuzz? So I think the easiest way to understand fuzz in its most basic principle is we kind of could draw a Venn diagram for fuzz, distortion, overdrive. Essentially Good. what we're doing is we're, we're clipping a sine wave. We're taking okay. a standard waveform that if you've ever seen a, you know, a snake slithering through the grass, it's a very rounded out wave. If you think of what a triangle wave looks like for anybody out there who's trying to picture sound waves, it's the idea that a sine wave is a very smooth, uh, essentially a parabola in its mm -hmm. most basic form. And when we decide to add things like distortion or overdrive or fuzz is we try to essentially synthetically clip the signal. Sometimes there's soft clipping, sometimes there are, there's hard clipping. But the easiest way that I throw it to everyone to try to understand what's happening with any of this stuff is think about a conversation you'd be having with someone on a cell phone about, let's say, the Super Bowl. Versus I met the Super Bowl, Ross, and I'm screaming into my phone at you. And the concept is, is my phone's speaker can only get so loud. So rather than just get increasingly loud, that signal now gets what we refer to as clipped. It starts to distort, it starts to compress. And as a result, yeah, there's going to be a slight increase in volume, but we're really going to lose things like clarity and dynamics in my timbre and my enunciation. Okay. That's essentially what's happening. So let's use that visual analogy. And I think most people can picture a sine wave. So what you're saying is basically we're cutting the tops off. It, to a certain degree, at yeah. At the bottom. Like we're running 
it's almost like the the wave is coming up or going down and it hits a wall because mm-hmm. yeah. it has no other place to go. Is that fair? That would be, yeah. Or even as a, it, although it will be different in its own right, uh, think of it similar to how things like compressors can work in the idea that we get rid of our tops and bottoms and we kind of squish everything together. Essentially, we're getting the same way, but we're, we're almost rocking our sound waves by sort of giving it less freedom, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. If that's what we understand fuzz is doing, and, and I do want to delve a little bit deeper into some of the differences, why does a guitar player or a bass player choose to use fuzz? I think that, you know, other than the obvious answer of, of personal taste on something like that. That's fair is the uh, concept of what it does to your sound versus the standards such as distortion and overdrive. Now, I will typically categorize fuzz as being more in the distortion category, less in the overdrive section. Okay. And I think with that going into it is that fuzz, uh, typically in terms of its crude technology and what it does, uh, in terms of giving you that square sound wave, is... Some people actually, especially for when you want to uh, sort of cut that note clarity, which is what fuzz will do. Fuzz is a distortion, but it's a less articulate distortion. So So it's more enharmonic than harmonic? I think you could use that to describe it. I think it's, if anything, it it sort of takes out the uh, harmonic overtones that you would typically get. When we look at distortion, we think of distortion within the metal community as an example. Okay. How do you get thumping lows, but still manage to get pinch harmonics? On a fuzz pedal, that's a little difficult to do. It's not really like that. Okay, so that's a point of differentiation between a fuzz... And a distortion pedal? Yeah, or to, to say specifically, it's almost like saying, you know, all champagne is wine, but not all wine is champagne. All fuzz mm. are e- effectively crude distortion pedals. Um, but as we've sort of moved past fuzz and said, hey, this is a great idea, but when we want to use this to solo, especially on single notes, uh, I want soaring leads. I don't want certain things to get lost. Now, as a result too, distortion in its truest form tends to be a little more hard uh, clipping or a little more um, high-end articulate, I guess, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, Again, the joys of describing sound to people. One of the big things I think is to almost look at the history of stuff and to sort of understand how it becomes desirable. So um, for some listeners out there, I can understand the idea that uh, there's technology that we don't use anymore. Like as me as a kid trying to be like, why is there a small little weird door at the back of grandma's house? And it's like, oh, the milkman. And it's like, what are you talking about? Um, things like that have sort of gone the way of the dinosaur for us. But for anybody out there who has watched, let's say, an old film that takes place in the in the 30s and 40s. And I love this idea that when films capture this accurately and people are gathered around to listen to the radio, whether it's the lottery numbers or to announce something big and... It's funny, you got a bunch of people in a room and inevitably somebody always goes, everyone, shh. And as a kid, I always thought, why the heck wouldn't you just turn up the volume on that radio? That would make it so much easier. And as, as I'm sure you're, you're familiar, Ross, you're talking about older radios earlier. The idea of original tube radios, that as you would turn them up, especially them being class A, we're going to start to distort. So as much as we still have more volume on tap, things get more compressed. They get less clear the signal starts to clip, okay? 
It is different in the sense that it lacks uh, levels of clarity. Again, if we had one giant Venn diagram here, we would see the parts of overdrive and distortion that blend together. We'd see the parts of distortion and fuzz and fuzz and overdrive. I think overdrive is typically looked at as being like, you know, we use the catchwords around here, organic, you know? It's only grass fed in the finest of <laughs> Swedish fields, but... Uh... <laughs> you clearly worked in the music industry long enough. But I, I, I must say, if you say, if you start wor using words like I iconic or authentic, I'm going to have to cut you off. Okay. All right. <laughs> I will put those, I'll write them in the list here, not to mention. But uh, I, I think with, with this stuff is we also sort of get into that, that lesson of, of how things come about. There's a whole story about at one point in the early 60s, someone was plugged into a console and the console essentially was broken and it clipped. Mm -hmm. and somebody went, wait a second, that's a really cool sound. Is there somebody who can reverse engineer this for me? And even that is weird because we probably had consoles break before and make the same sound, and somebody went, yuck. Oh, undoubtedly. Yeah, like it's, it's hard to imagine when you think of what Fender was doing in the 50s, the idea of, you know, if, if Buddy Holly had survived, if you take the music of Buddy Holly and the Crickets, and then you try to show him what 15 years later Led Zeppelin would be pulling off. It's a complete, like, it, it might as well be like trying to explain flying cars to someone today. Like, you believe it could exist, but it's it's almost a far-flung idea from what the normal is. And I think of one of the greatest innovators in recording, and that's Les Paul. Mm -hmm. He did amazing things, but boy, when his recording consoles that he literally built in his garage would distort, he'd lose his mind. Later on, we find that, oh, wait, can you do that again? There's, there's something to this. It's, it's almost like you think of humans discovering spicy food and going, this hurts, I'd like some more, please. Uh, <laughs> that's a great analogy um <laughs> but yeah i think it, when we when we sort of see that carry along that we start to discover people from multiple eras using different levels of fuzz uh you know there's the 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 big throwaway names i always find are keith richards doing you know satisfaction satisfaction that, that's a big one and it's cool and you know it's interesting and then you know flash forward another 30 years and we're sort of into the smashing pumpkins era of what fuzz is um you know we throw hendrix in there as a name but there's all kinds of different people who pick this up and go i like this particular sound because I found that either what I was using before wasn't quite doing it, you know, too many highs, too many lows, not harsh enough. Like, I really want this to carry through. You know, you think of a soaring guitar sound, a mid-70s fuzz sound pretty much hits the nail on the head there. Okay. So, and I think another part to sort of add to that is who uses fuzz. I think that it really comes about of this idea that, you know, the, the British invasion saying that these amps dialed to 10 you know oh my goodness the, the woman tone ross the woman tone still don't know what that is it's uh it, men can't hear it that's what it oh, men, that, men, oh men okay can't fair hear enough yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but i think you and i have actually tried to to push a vox to woman tone territory yeah i confess that i have i could feel my fillings rattle i think i may have lost a couple and swallowed them yeah because i couldn't get there it's a choking hazard <laughs> I, I honestly, 
couldn't get there. So imagine I come to you, Ross, the, you know, the, the everyday player. And I say, I know that you've been looking into this and I know you've in, encountered this problem. The idea becomes now, what if in a pedal, you know, in your small amp or in a more manageable setting, you, you live in an apartment, you know, we're selling this idea of, can I get you to clip your sound? Right. Into believable levels of overdrive, distortion, whatever you want to refer to it as, in a, in a small box, in a small compact form. And not only that, this is something that you can now take to every... Oh, your, your amp just blew up at a show. Well, I, I know you play Marshall. I could hook you up with mine, but it's a Fender. Right. We're really not going to be able to get that same. Now you can. You've now got a traveling bag of tricks. Okay. Well, and, and I can follow that because I think in the limited history I understand, Keith Richards was playing, was it a Maestro? He had access to the uh, the Maestro FZ1. Right, which FZ1 I think was the <laughs> first fuzz. Yes. Uh, I think the first commercially The first commercial fuzz. Available, yeah. There's... And it was based, to the analogy that you talked about, it was based on a broken board. Oh, yeah. Like, and... and... The other thing too with all this stuff is to understand is that the technology is is crude. Like, you know, if if counting on your fingers is the analog, a fuzz pedal is an abacus. We're not going to calculator mode yet. We're, right. We're right. dealing with just one level above. Well, having having seen the the electrical architecture of you know the classic tone bender, that's got about two bucks worth of parts. Oh, that's that's two bucks by today's inflation. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so I think that helps us understand uh, at, at, a, at a conceptual level where we cross the line and where the overlaps are mm -hmm. between overdrive, of which there are, what, something on the order of eight million different overdrives? I, I mean, I, I lost count at yeah. that point, but yeah. And then you have distortions. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole new bag of snakes. Mm -hmm. And then there's a, a ton of fuzz pedals. Yes. So they're unique, but they also overlap, right? They do overlap. Um, a great example of this actually, you know, uh, as much as some people refer to bosses maybe being a, a little cookie cutter in their approach to pedals, there's a great pedal. I believe it's the Boss OS2, which is their overdrive distortion. And the fourth knob on it allows you to sort of see what the difference between a more organic waveform clipping is and pushing it to a harder level of separated saturation. One thing that an overdrive will still always give you, much like when they say amp-like overdrive, Ross, when you play hard, what happens? Well, I'm starting to lose that overall dynamic range. There's some compression happening. Yep, your signal gets crazy. My signal changes. Yeah. What happens if you pick soft? Well, my experience on a tube amp is all of that goes away. And right. I go back to my, my cleaner tone. Yes. So when we say organic, I think of it like the human voice. If I start to speak soft, I, I even tend to get a little whispery. You know what I mean? I, I start to lose some stuff. If I start to yell, my, you know... But the dynamics of my vocal cords will change. Absolutely. Things will get a little more harsh. Um, it, it'll be harder for me to enunciate my words precisely. Mm -hmm. 
when we start to look at, so again, I kind of group fuzz and distortion in, you know, a little, little more to a different category than overdrive. Overdrive, when we say organic, think of it like the human voice, an organic tone. Okay. Distortion and fuzz, save for a few examples, are really sort of like, well, when, when you're playing at something, again, why I say kind of like compression, when you play something soft or you play something hard, there's not as noticeable a noticeable of a dynamic change. Right. They kind of stay put where they're where they're placed. You can still roll your volume off and clean them up, but your straight tone in there, whether you're strumming or picking, stays pretty much the same. Okay, I got it. So, given that we now have these intersecting circles of tools, and we're focused, at least for this conversation, on understanding where fuzz fits. Do all fuzz pedals use the same design? They come from a, a core input, I would say, but they definitely change in terms of what they're going to do. Josh Scott of, you know, JHS pedals, he did a yep. great video where he sort of separated them into four categories. Okay. Two transistor, three transistor, four transistor, and octave fuzz. That's kind of how he separated okay. them. Okay. I wouldn't disagree with that style. He's a pretty smart cat. Yeah. I tend to look at it, though, more of on kind of like an XY axis. Okay. So what if I said that I had high gain and low gain as my top and bottom, and then I had smooth and Velcro as my left and right? The way I say it like that is because when we start to look into, like, when we talk about bias controls... People have made bias controls not just on three transistors. They've put them on four transistors. So it kind of gets in like with our Venn diagram where things can kind of start to overlap or those circles start to move depending on what we're looking at. I think of on an XY axis, it gives us the ability to say that this is both A and B. You know what I mean? It starts okay. to lean into these sides. I can still have a really hard clipping fuzz that is smooth and dynamic, you know, that isn't into that Velcro stage where it just sounds like I'm... Like it's ripping. Oh, yeah, like I'm just cutting this thing in two with a chainsaw. Then it is safe to say that not all fuzzes are created equal. No. And someone who's searching for a fuzz should really try more than one. Oh, absolutely. And from different builders because they're going to deliver different things. Absolutely. So if I were, and, and I was in this place where I was, oh, fuzz. Well, I guess that means a round thing that looks like the Dallas Arbiter. And I found I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean I don't like fuzz. No. It means I didn't like that fuzz. Exactly. So is it safe to say that your guidance would be to those who are seeking to add fuzz or to get a different tonal reality from fuzz, the only way to find one that you like is to go try it. 100%. Okay. A, a core rule that I, I try to tell people to live by with, with trying stuff out, like usually even when I'm teaching people, you know, the first two rules are, number one, have fun. Number two, don't get discouraged. That's right. a pretty straightforward one. But the third one that I like to add in there is, you are allowed to not like something. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Like, there's no reason to sort of sit there and be like, well, I was told that this was the bee's knees. 
you know, and, and I'm just not feeling it. Well, and and I confess that was me. Oh, I've, I've been there for tube screamers, which is, is a wacky thing to say to somebody. Um, when I went to buy a, one of my first pedals and I was told you need, you need a tube screamer. And even the guy at the shop was just like, oh, buddy, you're, you're going to have a blast. This is going to just be just the right thing. Stevie Ravon couldn't be wrong. I took it home and I plugged it into a Fender amp and I just went, wait, is there another part in the box that I'm supposed to plug in to get the sound? Because it it just didn't do for me the sound that I wanted it to do. Well, we're on the same page when it comes to tube screamers. Yeah, and, and I'm not saying I'm not that, getting that. Yeah, I'm not saying that who... Well, I found that my thing for it, the one thing that did change my mind with it was uh, when I started plugging it into my Vox. When I plugged it into my Vox or a Class A-esque amp, um, I suddenly found that I was having a lot more fit. It stopped being a doorstop. That's the best okay. way I can put it. Okay, but there's a massive difference in tonal delivery between a Class A and an AB amp. Oh, 100%. You know, a tube that is push-only versus a tube that's push-pull. They they sound completely different. Oh, yeah, Totally. Um, any more than, you know, it, it would be like me sitting here saying, you know, The Usual Suspects is a fantastic movie. Oh, that's cool. I, I wouldn't recommend putting it on for, you know, your six-year-old kids. Mm. You know, there's there's always sort of the usage for what it was designed for. Okay, so... There's no universals with it. So it is very dependent on the player's use case. Yes. Um, but to go along with that, and again, I say this, you know, not to come across as a salesperson, but from what I've seen as a salesperson, as an example, had someone come in and wanted to, they're told I, I should get a tube amp and I was told I should get a Vox. I said, okay. I said, uh, any reason why you're looking at Vox, not a Fender or, you know, any other brand? And he's like, well, my, my favorite musicians have used Vox. I like the Beatles. I, I like Queen. And I'm like, okay, cool. And, and I plugged him in and, and he didn't know what to do. And I think... Part of that is we, you know, not to say we sullied the sales experience, but maybe if you're going to come in and try out a specific fuzz, learn a song by that person. It's going to be really weird for me to give you, a, you know, a Billy Corgan signature op amp fuzz, and you're going to try and pull off the stones or the trogs and just be like, uh, this isn't really what I'm looking for. No, of course so, not. Yeah, so I think it's it's very dependent upon that. But again, that's why there's there's a whole variety out there. Um, just because you don't like sushi doesn't mean seafood should be off the table forever. Right, or even some types of sushi. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I see happening a lot is, no, no, no. If you want to fuzz, you must get a germanium transistor-based fuzz. Or you must get a silicon transistor-based fuzz. Now, electrically, I understand the difference. But what difference does it mean when it comes to a fuzz pedal? Can people actually hear a difference? Oh, oh, I'm, I'm sure. I have no doubts about that. And not to sort of, uh, you know, discourage what you sold earlier as the fuzz expert Fraser, but there's what I like to refer to as inches and yards. To some mm -hmm. people, it's inches. To some people, it's yards. Yeah, well, you're far more fuzz and, expert than I am. Well, I, I throw out that I've I've listened to them. I've also been tricked by them. How you so? Know, I, I've I've tried stuff where it's like here's here's the blindfolded test of how to do this, and been like, oh yeah, that's that's definitely one, and found out it was the other. 
Um, even more so than that, there's a, a plethora of wonderful builders now that are trying to replicate specific uh, germanium-based uh, fuzz pedals from the past that are either, uh, you know, rare uh, or just don't exist anymore or, quite frankly, are, are impossible to maintain. And they're using silicon to make these germanium-based uh, pedals, and they hit the nail on the head. I think for the average person, let your ears decide. Um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that germanium is better or worse than silicon. I think sometimes it's silly to make the argument that, well, Hendrix used this or so-and-so. Like, then you, you get into, again, what yeah, somebody else is telling you is, is the best. Yeah, and moreover, there's way more to it than just the fuzz. So if I'm hearing you right, there is a difference between a germanium and a silicon. But the only thing that matters is what you like. Yeah, like the if we sort of boil it down to what, you know, a wonderful gentleman like Robert Keeley will tell you. is like when we look at germanium, germanium tends to, like I don't want to say more towards the overdrive section of things, but in terms of how its clipping works is that silicon tends to be a little on the harsher side. Uh, germanium can be a little more on the on the mellower side and sometimes have a little bit more mids is what I've heard from them. Mm -hmm. But we also kind of have to look at the fact that while germanium was for that time period the most popular transistor that they had, it has, I think, half the melting point temperature that oh, silicon has. Yeah, you, you can kill a germanium transistor. Yeah. Really easy. So imagine having a box that's been painted black and you are on stage on a hot summer day rocking out for people and suddenly bzz, it's toast because you've cooked the internal components of well, it. Well, and that's a great point that you make, particularly pertaining to germanium fuzzes, because I know you know of Chris Benson. Yeah. He's a pretty talented cat. And when he built his most recent germanium fuzz, he built it in two different cases a white one for playing live and a black one for playing in the studio simply because temperature variance will have an enormous impact on a germanium transistor whereas it will impact but not as much a silicon transistor because of how the atom is constructed absolutely and and let's also draw into this the idea of germanium was the transistor of the day. Oh, sure. So I always think of it sort of like an interview I was watching where they, they had Eric Clapton. They're, they're talking about Brownie, talking about his original, uh, I believe it's a 56, if I'm not mistaken, 56, 57 Strat, two-tone sunburst. And the British gentleman interviewing him is like, so what made you walk into the store and, and pick out that particular Strat? And without missing a beat, Eric Clapton was like, well, it was the only one they had. You know, so necessity is the mother of invention. You Absolutely. Know? So I, I think with that stuff, rather than get sold on this idea of it has to be this, this almost becomes like Russell's teapot, yeah. you know, of saying this is better, it's it's worth more because you can't have it. That doesn't make sense to me. I, I mean, as a physicist, I look at this as the equivalence of Schrodinger's cat. Is the cat dead? Or is the cat alive? Yes. Correct. Until you examine <laughs> it, it's whatever you want it to be. And I think that that's probably, that that's definitely true for other pedals. Like I think of the box of overdrives. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, this is the world's best tube screamer that's not from Ibanez or Maxon or whoever was building it that week. What's the outcome? What's the desired outcome? What do you like the sound of? I didn't like any of them. <laughs> then the folks at Origin Effects built this thing called the Halcyon, and I love it. And there you go. You, you found the one. I found what works for me. Does that mean it works for everybody else? I know it doesn't. And, you know, folks don't want to argue. Well, no, it's not real unless it's a TS-9. Well, what if it's an 808? Or a TS-10? Or you mentioned Josh Scott. Yeah. What what if it's, what is he called? The bonsai? It's all of them. Yeah. Or the plumes or the palisades from Earthquaker. Yeah, Um, no, exactly. Yeah. They're, They're all derivants on something. And I think that you mentioned, you know, that back at the time, germanium was the most common. But from an engineering perspective, I also know that the tolerance on resistors was a lot different. The tolerance on capacitors was a lot different. Mm-hmm. You know, there's actually a band on a resistor that tells you what its its tolerance is. What was common in the 60s was 20 plus or minus 20%, probably. Whereas now you can choose that. That's quite the swing. It, it's a it's it's massive. So okay, I get that. So let's go on to players. Are there applications for fuzz or players who use fuzz who play in genres one might not think of as suitable for fuzz? Oh, absolutely. Um, if I had to sort of reach into the back pocket and say, okay, we've, we've got our, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, hit list, if you will. People who use fuzz effectively. Someone who is never, ever on that list is Prince. And I would encourage anybody to, if you want to hear the application of different levels of fuzz, obviously I would say things like, okay, so for... You know, a, a milder example of this. Let's listen to the guitar solo on Uncomfortably Numb uh, by David Gilmour for Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. It's not a, a harsh or biting uh, fuzz tone, but for all those singular lead notes... There's um, fuzz. There's fuzz. And, and by definition, there's sustain. It really makes those notes take off, especially when you don't want necessarily like uh, an organic overdrive that, that may kind of fall off in terms of volume. Right. You, you're In this case, I think you're talking about fuzz as being, delivering this benefit of long, massive sustain. Yeah. But even to kind of go further than that is to look at, when I go back to look at Prince. So Prince's self-titled album from 79, it's his second album. It feels, for the most part, when you're listening to that album, like a really well-produced late 70s, almost disco album. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you get to a track like Bambi. And for everything that I've ever looked up to see what that sound is, I think Prince took his guitar, plugged it into a Neve console, and just dimed it. Oh, yeah. And that, if that's what Fuzz is based off in the first place, is a broken console clipping itself out. Oh, yeah, you... you you get a 1073 preamp yeah. in, in an, and have it go bad, and 
it does some pretty cool things. Absolutely. If you like that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I just mentioned Origin. They've got uh, their most recent pedal. I forget what it's called. DFX or DFC. And it's based on a UA610 preamp that got cooked. Yeah. It sounds glorious. Absolutely. Um, I've seen people use the JHX color box oh, as yeah. a fuzz pedal. Absolutely. I think and that one's a, an 1176, isn't it, that they're trying to run that off of? Uh, it's definitely a preamp. I don't know which preamp it was, but the 1176 has an FET preamp in it. So, yeah, it could be. Yeah. And the color box is a brilliant piece of unappreciated toolbox. Yeah. Because you can do so much with it. Yeah, I, I think there's lots of gear like that that, you know, you, you got to take the Tom Morello approach, you know, see what happens when you push everything to 11. Yeah, what happens? Yeah. Well, you don't, when you say, who are the great fuzz players? Eric Johnson's not on that list anywhere. No. I Well, you know, you can say if you know, but I don't think he's, again, like in that that podium maker for, for eras, if you will. No, no, yeah. I, don't, I, I don't think so. So... We talked earlier that those original 10 benders that Macquarie's made, you know, back when they were on Denmark Street in London, they're very simple circuits. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to believe me, you can look it up. There's not much there. So given that there are so many derivants, what makes so many fuzzes so expensive? And I think of, I'm thinking of one whose name I will not bring up because I don't go out of my way to disc products, but it's an exact copy of a tone bin selling for $700. Oh, that's it? <laughs> what is going on here? I, I think, Ross, that uh, one of the best things you can do uh, in terms of build quality to make a product worth more money is it never hurts to add a generous sprinkling of unobtainium. Oh, yes. It's, uh, the funny part is, is I'm, I'm, when you said 700 bucks, uh, my first question was, which one? Uh, which company? Because, and again, it's, it's nothing against it. Some of it, too, has to do with aftermarket retail. Okay. Some great examples are I know that the first iteration of a Boss Waza fuzz pedal. Yeah. Um, there was, I think, 4,000 of those made. I think 3,700 of them remained in Japan. Okay. And, and am I allowed to say you're lucky enough to own one? No, you can say I own oh, one. Okay. You know, and yeah. everyone, and where does this guy live again? Uh, <laughs> it's never been out of the box. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll keep it that way. Um, but for something like that, I've seen them fetch as high as like 2,800 bucks, or at least that's the asking price okay. of them. Uh, Earthquaker made the Black Ash, which was where they're like, we found a box of NOS parts that, you know, we're talking original transistor caps, everything like that. Yeah. Yep. And here they are. And again, there is a pedal that I think they had enough to make 1,500 of them. I've seen them go for as high as 900 bucks. And, and and look, I'm not going to take anything away from Earthquaker and Jamie Stillman and the folks there, because they build a fine quality product. And they weren't asking $900 for it. it no, wasn't that. no, they weren't. When that first came out, 
It was like the boss. Yeah. The boss was a tone bender, was not expensive. It was just rare. Yeah. Here's the product. Yeah. Kind of like a king of tone. Yeah. If you can get one, they're cheap. Like they're really inexpensive. Mm-hmm. It's a 9,000 year wait. Oh, yeah. Or you can go on Reverb tomorrow and buy a literally a $200 pedal for 1200 bucks, so you can say you have one. Yeah, and, and I'm not trying to take away anyone's enjoyment from no, it. No, 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 no. I, I often make the joke, uh, it, it's like a person coming up to you and saying, hey, Ross, you want to see something cool? I have here the legendary $30,000 Beanie Babe. And it... My answer is no. What you have there is about sixty-seven cents in fabric and and beads. Right. What you are searching for is someone who is willing to pay thirty thousand dollars. It might be the coolest beanie baby I've ever seen in my life, but but it's its value to me is arbitrary based off of who's willing to pay it. Yes, and I know we're talking about fuzz pedals, and I made reference to a couple of companies that literally have cloned exactly a color sound tone bender mm -hmm. you know and as we said a couple of a couple of bucks worth of parts in a ten dollar box yep you know charging seven hundred dollars for that is okay i get it there's a huge amount of uh you call it on unobtainium i'll call it foo-foo dust but i equate that to gibson releasing the custom shop les paul greeny that anybody with $30,000 can buy one. Well, Ross, it's like they say, what's uh, what's the difference between a fake and a replica? I give up. Whose name's on the headstock? You know. Fair enough. You make a Fender copy over in China, that's a fake, okay? You make a Fender copy over in China, it says Squire, well, that's a replica. That's right. a replica. <laughs> you know, looking at tone benders, color sound, stuff like that, it was something I, I learned while watching a, a Norm's Rare Guitars. They obviously want everything to play, but I find there almost a, a level of dark humor in the fact that, you know, a, a pre-CBS Fender that doesn't work but has all original parts is worth more than one that you refret and rewire and make an actual playable instrument. Oh, yeah. So, again, and they're in, like, what well, what's what's the right, you know, fuzz okay. pedal for you is, right. you know, it, 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 yeah, we go down a rabbit hole with this stuff, but. Oh, sure. I know that there are fuzzes that are tube-based instead of transistor-based. Is that just a different approach? Well, I think it's a different approach, but I think, uh, again, when you think of fuzz being the original way of trying to make us sound more like a tube amplifier, this for some companies is the natural evolution okay. of that idea okay i get it um but to a certain degree with it i almost look at it in the sense that imagine for a, a second here that fuzz pedals were a, a vegan friendly or vegetarian hamburger option okay. and, I, and you go hey fraser how did how did you get this portobello mushroom to taste so much like a juicy angus hamburger and i say oh i marinated it in beef broth for 24 hours um, I find that the tube okay. element of it is uh, is cool. I'm not knocking them. I've seen the one from uh, who's the one that uses like almost like the plasma charge game changer pedals. So it's cool. It and I think the idea of suddenly saying, "Hey, you like what fuzz offers in terms of a tone, but you'd like to add more organic dynamics to it." 
hey, it's, it's a great idea. It's, it's a really cool concept. I'm not knocking it. I think there's another one uh, called Mercury. Well, that's, the, that's, the, that's actually my favorite fuzz. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Made in Britain. Uh, the company's called Effectroat. And they use, they use tubes in everything. Mm-hmm. They've got a good inventory, but limited, of new old stock Sylvania tubes. And they do a number of tube-based pedals. They do the Mercury Fuzz. They do the Fire Bottle Boost. And they do two different versions of an LA-2A compressor. I really like the sound of it. But again, it comes back to something that you said at the beginning. Where did Fuzz originally come from? Oh, it came from a tube-based preamp in a board that went sideways. Yeah. So maybe that's why I like the sound of the Mercury so much. Yeah, I can believe it. Because it sounds like probably where they originate. Now, that's not to say that there aren't other good fuzzes that are not tube-based. Try them. Absolutely. See which one you like. Yeah. You know, because I have fuzzes that are not tube-based. That, And I know that you are uncomfortable. And I respect that you don't like being called a fuzz expert. But you know what? <laughs> lot more about it than i do and you've had a lot more exposure to different players mm-hmm. and different genres and different styles so let's suppose that there is a player who is new to fuzz or is an established player but has not yet had an opportunity to determine if fuzz is right for them and they were to come to you and i would recommend that they do to ask you for guidance what are there three or four fuzzes that you would say? Go check these out. Uh, Let, let's let's do that then. Okay. Let's say someone who wants to try fuzz, mm-hmm. but doesn't have a lot of money to spend. Okay. But you say that there are four classes of fuzzes that you are comfortable yes. from a separation perspective. Yes. So let's start at that entry level buyer. Yeah. So if we start from that one. Um, I'll pick out even three, three options I would say for you from that perspective. Um, the first one I, and I came into this as a doubter for it, funny enough, is the new Fender Hammer Tone Fuzz. Okay. Um, I will be the first to admit that I looked at that generic gray box with purple lettering and said, yeah, it looks boring. I'm not buying it. We got to admit as guitar players, as much as it's all about the tone and this and that, we very much listen with our eyes. A lot of folks do. Yeah, that is a deceptive box. Okay. The fact that it will have the ability to turn on and off uh, an octave effect in it mm-hmm. is a great way to just be like, hey, I get to try this pedal out. And and if that's an effect I want in there, if I like Hendrix, if I want this, it's a really good true representation of what a fuzz is without getting too spitty or Velcro-y. And also without having to be like this monster of high gain if you don't want it to be. So that would be my first one. Good. The second one that I would recommend to people from a lesser known company would be Greenhouse Effects makes something called the Roots Fuzz. It retails for under 140 bucks. Um, Fantastic built uh, unit. Like it's a brick in your hand. Like it feels like you're holding a padlock. Um, so there's no cheap construction like a certain other company that makes large box enclosures. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, so it's it's good build quality. 
the thing that I really like with it is that if you hold down the on off button, the LED switches, I believe between red and blue, because there are two different fuzz circuits in there. Oh. Rather than take the approach of, Ross, you come to see me. Okay, you were talking big muffs. I got to get out. Uh, you know, a, a Russian uh, big muff. I got to get out. A tall font, a ram's head. For that stuff, I would direct you more towards the JHS, you know, and I, I say this with all the love in the world, cork sniffer version of how to test those all out. Okay. This to me is to really keep it down to the idea of, no, 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 no. We're, we're not trying to compare clementine with tangerine and see which one's more orange we're going to give you two different fuzz circuits okay so the greenhouse uh roots fuzz the roots is the fuzz. other one cool and then as much as i just had my little my little rant about them for the value you cannot beat uh an electro harmonics harmonics big uh, big muff um okay. there are things that i wish they did a little bit better with them there's no doubt about that it is really hard to make the argument that with the, um, let's call it the pedigree, the list of people who have used them over the years, that it doesn't do exactly what it claims. Right. Now, if I had to add the fourth one in there, there's all kinds of micro builders out there and stuff like that. So as much as I said, very specific pedals for the first two, yeah. and then the third one was a brand, I'm going to give my, my fourth recommendation, as always, big plug, uh, Eric Calvert at Frost Giant Effects. I love Frost Giant because Frost Giant doesn't skimp on quality of components. Okay. And the idea is when you, you know, every pedal says fuzz worship on it. You know what I mean? It and does. it's, it's it very does. much coming from that approach of, you know, if you like uh, stoner doom metal, I get it. If you're big into Beelzebong or Caius or brands like that, that sort of bring that sound. But with the stuff that, uh, funny enough, I brought in my pedal board uh, for you to take a look at after, is that he said, okay, I'm going to make this pedal. It's called the Spirit Crusher, and it comes in the giant foot enclosure. Um, and it's based off of a color sound. Okay. And it's like, oh, okay, that's cool. And then he'll say, okay, but, you know, um, I also have my, his more popular pedals are probably the Massive or the Soma. And they're based off of tall Russian Big Muff Pies. That's like, well, what about, you make another one. It's another one knobber. It's called the Little Acid. It's a 70s op amp. Um, when you get into the Saint of Sufferance or the, the Surya, they're, they're a tone bender mark too. So his whole idea is not to just be like, I'm going to sell you, you know, the same thing over and over again in a different package. You know so he's actually I mean? building many different Yeah, fuzzes. and he goes, and there's even weirder ones in there that, um, you know, are very eclectic. When we're talking about, you know, the idea of what, you know, a color sound or any of the, the, the solo sound stuff is worth for originals, there is a really crazy fuzz that was produced uh, by the Baldwin Burns Company. Okay. Yep. Which, uh, for a lot of people who don't know, I guess Baldwin, the piano company, the U.S. piano Baldwin, company. Oregon. Yeah, yeah, tried to buy Fender. Yes, and were did. outbid by CBS. So they went, okay, let's buy another company. And they bought a company called Burns and sort of set them about to make uh, stuff for guitars, which started with electronics. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, they kind of, uh, much the same way Jim Marshall took a, a Fender basement and reverse engineered it to British specs and standards, um, they took uh, a Maestro FZ1 and built their own, which was called the uh, Burns Buzz Around. Okay. And it sounds like a chainsaw powered by angry bees. It's, 
it's bananas. And and I'll be the first person to say as the guy who owns it, this is not my, you know, hey, you want to come to a, you know, Grateful Dead jam and maybe bring that fuzz pedal along with like it's it's a very specific niche use uh tool. It it, okay. it is, you know, it is the, you know, eyeglasses screwdriver set. You know what I mean? These are just for eyeglasses. But when it's you need it. Very particular use. Yeah. But the cool part with it is that the last I saw, I think there's less than 200 of those pedals in the world. Okay. Someone had told me that they saw one for sale for $10,000. And... I, unobtainium yeah i can't i can't do that the average guy can't do that so no. the idea that you know someone out there is saying hey this is really weird and i'm going to you know make an attempt to build this so that you can try it out and if it's not your thing that's totally cool but uh you know and and eric's always been fantastic for you know getting back to you for the the fan base like i you know i don't want to yeah. pretend like i'm better friends with them than i am um I get to chat with him every once in a while. Fantastic guy. And he's always open for new ideas. Um, people ask him to build some, some other, you know, they're like, okay, if you've based these two pedals off of, you know, a big muff, the thing that he hates about big muffs is they don't have mids. No. So he's like, I'm going to use top quality components in these and I'm going to add mid knobs or mid switches or internal switches and stuff like that. But people keep going, yeah, why don't you build like a big muff, this and that. So he said, okay, if that's what you want, I'll do a line of them. He's building a uh, a Russian Big Muff right now. Right. But his whole idea is there is no skimping on parts. This will do exactly the sound that it's supposed to do, but it, it won't melt in your car like vinyl on a hot day. Right. So, yeah, I, that those would be my biggest four that I would okay. have to plug. All right. So that that's a great bit of guidance for someone who's wants to try fuzz out, get a sense of the scope and breadth. So as one other thing that I would sort of suggest to somebody that I think is, number one, a ton of fun and very educational, if that's what you want to get into, buy a fuzz face builder's kit. Oh, what, like one from Stumac or somebody like that? It doesn't have to be Stumac. There's like the, the BYOC community, which is like the build your own clones. Oh, yeah. No, I, I built, uh, what was the old boss... Auto swell. Oh, oh, the uh, the slow gear. The slow gear. Yeah, yeah. I built one of their their from BYOC. I built their slow gear. There you go. And, and you it's didn't a cool little pedal without having to pay five hundred eighty dollars on no. like reverb for one. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's stuff like okay, that. That's so interesting. You can always now source said parts, and and I I'm again I'm not trying to diss anybody who makes these fuzz pedals, but. A fuzz pedal, for the most part, I don't want to say should be idiot-proof, but th this should be sort of like a Lego They're project for ages 10 and up. You they should be are able to very there. simple. Yeah, so if that's the case, and you really want to get in there, and, and, and even then, you, now you have an in-depth knowledge of how transistors work, you know, how to solder up a circuit board, because some of these you can do them on breadboards. You can do them on real simple stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean... I, I think of a guy like Brian Wampler, who's done more than one fuzz, mm -hmm. and yet he breadboards everything to, to, to test it out. Yeah, I've got a few frost giants that are like that, and it's it's kind of cool because you almost feel like you're uh, you're getting the prototype. Yeah, you, know, yeah, you get you're, to you're, see what's going you're on. With the in crew. Oh yeah, you know you get that uh, that exclusive club card. Yeah. 
So, exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I would throw it for anybody who sort of says like money isn't an option. The first thing I would tell you to do, build yourself a pedal. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because I have to, you have to be of the mindset that you're willing to give it a shot, but it's not difficult and you learn a ton. Totally. When you're building a pedal or building an amp kit or mm -hmm. as I'm doing now, building a guitar kit. Yeah. It's been massively informative to me just because, oh, okay, I see, I'm learning about the problems they had to solve. Absolutely. And, and that, that sort of uh, added uh, bonus of sort of like, well, I'm looking for something hand-wired. Cool. Your hands are going to wire right. this. Yeah, yeah, why not? It's it's why for those beginner fuzzes, unfortunately, and again, it's not to, to knock any of these brands, but for anybody out there who I've heard, you know, I've heard good things about the Donners, about the Outlaw pedals, about, um, who's that other company I'm trying to think of off the top of my Joyo. head? Joyo's had some really good stuff. Yeah. I'd even throw out some of the, I think it's the Behringer U03000 or something like that. Yeah. Um, the whole thing is, is they've make, made some great sounds, but where they've cut corners on things is that when it breaks, it's a doorstop. Oh, you're who? Yeah. The only way this is ever going to be useful is if you end up in prison and you got a spare sock you want to fill. Oh, you'll, no. you'll rule the prison yard, but that thing ain't, ain't making a sound ever again. No. Yeah. And, and I think that that's fair. But again, you know, you buy one of those Joyos or Donners or whatever, or, or, the Amazon Basics, mm -hmm. you're paying 60 bucks. You're not, you know, you're not missing the mortgage payment to buy a Vemoram. No, no. Or, or even use this, uh, this um, algorithm for it. As I say, okay, if something is twice as much money, will you get at least twice as much enjoyment out of it? And will it last at least twice as long? If you feel confident in saying the answer is yes, then I think you know what you should buy. Yeah. 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 Uh, but again, that's a personal decision and it's very much based on an individual's budget. Mm -hmm. What I got from our conversation today, though, is that you don't have to spend a fortune. Not at all. To, to, get, a, to get access to a variety of different sounding fuzzes. Mm -hmm. What you need to do is find a real store. And go in and find somebody who knows what they're on about. And we'll let you just go try them. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, without a lot of talking and blather and blah, 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 blah. Take your own guitar. Absolutely. Show up with your own songs. Um, or even if it's, I'm searching for the, you know, the Billy Corgan fuzz sound. Cool. Like, play anything off of Gish or Siamese Dream. Right. Just, just, you know, that's what's really going to help sort of that's carry that That's what's going to tell you yeah. if it's working or not. Yeah, it's really hard to say I'm looking for the Billy Corgan sound and then, you know, start busting out the Britney Spears. It's a little hard to make that that jump. I imagine that that would be the case. It's cool not, to listen to, though. I, I suppose. I, I have no experience with either, to be honest. It, it makes coming to work a lot more fun. <laughs> I, I, I can see how that would happen. Thank you so very much, Fraser. I really appreciate the investment of your time. No, I appreciate you having me on the show. It's a, it's a pleasure as always. Um, I thought it was great. Would you be interested in coming back for another episode, another topic at some point? Absolutely. Next time we'll get into Octofuzz. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Again, something that I have never found a use for. Fair. So I'm probably missing something. I'd, I'd be happy to bring some stuff along. All right. Sounds great. 
Everyone, thanks very much for listening. Uh, as always, uh, your attendance and your support for the podcast here at thatguitarlover.com is sincerely appreciated. I'm Ross Chevalier. And I've been Fraser Moore. Until next time, peace.